Well, hey there, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Change Room, a podcast all about change. How do we love it? How do we hate it? How do we get through it? Uh, all things exciting and change related. If you remember last week's episode, we were, we had, Ron and I had the intention of talking about happiness, but we both felt afterwards like it went a little bit to the dark side. Uh, Rod aptly uh, likened the episode to the Empire Strikes Back, and for the nerds out there, you know exactly what we're talking about. So this week, we're going to try to bring it to the light side. We're going to bring it to Return of the Jedi time. And uh, so, yeah, we have a lot of fun things in store to chat about today. Ron, what would you add into the mix? Hey, Leslie. Yes, it was. It did uh, go a little dark. But, you know, I think when you... The subject was happiness. And uh, in life as humans, we there's so many things that come up that we deal with. And one of the big things that get in the way of happiness is the funks and the dark yes. side of things. So it, it yes. was important to talk about how to get through the dark side. But I hope today we can touch on some... Uh, some lighter elements. I don't know if there's going to be any Ewoks, though. It will, it, it'll still be positive. I could sing the song from the cartoon. I don't know if you remember the cartoon, Rod, but no there was an way. Ewok cartoon back in the day, 100%. And depending on how the episode goes, <laughs> I might sing it at the end. Indeed. Yes. Buckle your seatbelts, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So, so where um, should we start this week? I feel like there's so much that we could talk about with happiness. Yes. Why don't you kick well, us off? Okay, well, I, I think I mentioned in a the previous one, there's a book um, that I read by a guy named Tal Ben-Shahar. He wrote a book called Happier, and he uh, is a, I don't actually know what he's currently doing, but he was a professor at uh, Harvard, and he had what was billed as the most popular course at Harvard, and it was his... Wow. Uh, class on being on happiness and this was probably you know easily 10 years ago but the book was a good summary and and this is what he taught in his class of all the research around um, happiness so actually and then it it was published in 2007 and so um, it talks about some of the things we talked about last week but it it also talks about some of the other elements practices that we can do to to have more happiness in our lives. And I'll, I'll mention a few of them. And then I would like to mention one of the, there's a somewhat of a, I hate to say it, it's like a two by two framework. I'm laughing at myself because it's like I such a I love a good businessy. two by two framework, Rod. It makes me very happy. <laughs> Not going to lie so, to you. So the, so some of, I'll go through some of the, let me hit off some of the, the positive things that it mentions in here. And it talks about the, re, there's research that supports this. And then in the last, I mean, this is 13 years ago, there's just even been more research to support these types right. of things. So for example, one of the things it talks about in here is a gratitude journal or bringing in gratitude to your life. And, and that yes, means, please. yeah, so it's like, I would say, you know, the person that I'm meeting today who said the nice compliment to me, I really appreciate that. And even just saying that to yourself at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Some people talk about a gratitude journal. I don't know. If, have you heard of that? Maybe 100%. Oh, I'm up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that I always write mine down, but I always start my, I call them gratefuls. I always yes. start my day with gratefuls because it just, it puts me in the right mindset for the day to remember, yes. even if I'm feeling icky, 
that there are so many things to be grateful for. You know, for mm-hmm. the water that, I, that I'm taking a shower in, for the eggs that I cook in my breakfast, or, you know, absolutely big, mm-hmm. big believer in gratitude. Yes. And, and I, have, there's a, I have a friend of mine who's a chemical engineer, you know, so I'm going to stereotype him. He's like an engineer, black and white, whatever. Right. But he texted me the other day and he was saying, you know, I, tough weeks. He's got a newborn kid. I started doing the, the text was, I started doing the gratitude uh, journaling again, and well, it makes such a difference. I'm just feeling much better. Oh, that's so much great. Better. Yeah, and it really does. So this is one of the kinds of practices that people can do, and however, whether it's a journal, or whether, as you said, it's just a reminder to yourself. So that, that was one of the, I think, topics I wanted to mention. Another one, which is, um, I don't know if you'd connect to happiness, but meditation. The Definitely. practice of meditation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't claim to explain the, you know, how it how it can, like how then the meditation leads to happiness. But it it has, and so ten years ago well, there were studies the starting mind, to show this. right, like it. Yes, it does. I, yeah, I think maybe that's... that's what it does. It actually it calms. It's a little bit like what we were talking about last time. It it helps you manage through the dark tough stuff yeah calm the mind to allow you to to let go of of some of that and And can i share one thing i've learned about meditation that made all the difference for me because at first when i first tried meditation i felt like a total failure because they would say clear your mind Mm. be playing this beautiful music i've never (laughs) had my mind clear in my life like that's that's just not a part of how we live and the minute our minds stop working, we're kind of, you know, it's bad news. So Mm -hmm. the way I understand it now that's changed for me over the years as I've like tried to implement a meditation practice is I don't worry about the idea of clearing my mind. What I worry, what I think about instead, like what I do instead, I shouldn't say think, what I try to do instead is just notice my thoughts. So not feel Mm -hmm. like my thoughts are me, not feel like I, like I am one with my thoughts, but just more like, oh, look, I'm feeling guilty that I didn't reply mm-hmm. to that email yesterday. How interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, I'm feeling like my feelings were hurt by something that happened in a meeting or in a conversation. Isn't that interesting? I, wor- I wonder where that comes from. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge game changer for me mm-hmm. on the meditation front. Rather than thinking, I must stop thinking about guilt. I must stop thinking about you know, being put out. Like it, That for me never yeah. worked. But yes. the noticing has made all the difference. Yes. And is that in the book? Sorry, did I steal your thunder rod? I no, get no, excited, no. guys. Sorry, <clears throat> You're right. sorry. But here's, maybe this is just, this is like us at Western society kind of, I don't know, misconceptions. But you're right. Like, I've heard those things too. Like, meditation is about clearing your mind. And and for the the longest while, I was exactly the same as you. But actually... When I finally read instructions on how you're supposed to meditate, what you just described is the right way to do it. Is, huh? is your, is, it's about noticing your thoughts. It's not about... And then, so it's about noticing it and then moving on and then focusing right. on your breath. I think or that is the magic, right? Like, it's not getting... It's trying to not get into the... Sometimes I feel like my thoughts are this, like, downward spiral, like a... You know, like like water going down a drain, spinning, spinning, mm-hmm. going so fast. And when I can sort of go, huh, 
look at that thought over there. Look at that thought over there. It feels like it, it slows all that down and it mm -hmm. feels less spinny. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you one, I'm going to tell you one more uh, uh, piece of insight and then I'll move to the framework because it cool. kind of relates. So um, he also talks a lot about, and this is come, this comes up in other areas as well, that it's, it's a concept called flow and mm. it's super interesting and it, it was articulated by a guy whose name is pretty much impossible to pronounce which i think gets in the way of the concept being known more broadly because people are like i don't even want to try to pronounce his name so i'm gonna but i'm gonna try here his name is mahali chiksent mahali which is i know it's a really long spelled last name mahali is m-i-h-a-l-y and his last name starts with a C. Mm -hmm. So, but this guy, like in the 70s and maybe his 80s, he was, he wanted to, to understand, it was about actually happiness where he started. And he wanted to understand what people, people were doing or how happy they were at different periods of time and what were they doing at that time. Mm. And so he had them with like timer. So today with the smartphones, it would be such an easy study to do. But like back in the day, even before, uh, uh, beepers but he would have like so a timer would go off the person would have to fill out a like a paper survey saying how how, how are they feeling feel? oh I remember hearing about this yeah yeah, yeah. and then what, what were you doing at the time and um, <clears throat> so do you think where do you think like watching TV landed I'm gonna say pretty low yeah like even though I love TV yeah, I do. I'm so old school. I it was do. like it was like yeah, it's okay. yeah exactly. It's right. It it wasn't like a five or happy. six. If it was a one to ten scale, I would imagine TV is in the like four, five, six range. Right. Then, but if sometimes people were doing like I was, well, I'm gonna say spreadsheet, but they, I don't know if they were working on spreadsheets in the '80s. But it was like I was, you know, <laughs> working on math homework, and. Sometimes those results, uh, they were, it was like the highest uh, scores of happiness. Interesting. Or it was like, I was like fixing the carburetor on my car or whatever the person was doing. But it was when they were in an act where they got into a state of flow. And mm. um, uh, basically a state of flow is when you're doing something that you have skill at, yet you feel uh, challenged with it and you feel you're... You're able to to show your skills. So the challenge level, if you were again on like a graph, if your like challenge right. was going up, and your skill your challenge was on the x-axis, the sorry the the y-axis, the up and down, mm -hmm. skill was on the x going across, and if as your skill went up and the challenge went up and they met together, so meaning it's the right balance, right? Then people right, get right, in a right. state of a state of really focusing in and zoning in on that so this is this is very difficult to do in a world where you're constantly distracted by many different right, things because right. you need to get into it um, and then the risk is if the challenge is greater than your skill level you get into levels of stress you get stressed because you can't right. you're unable right. to do it and if the your skill is greater than the challenge on the other side you get to boredom so it, it is, is bad. Yes. So it is very much a sweet spot. 
And so float like the um, the message is to bring more happiness in your life. Look for opportunities where you can uh, get into a state of flow. And by default, it means like doing stuff, like doing stuff that's challenging and engaging. Right. And and then so here's then the segue to the two by two. And it's the this is when they talk about happiness and he describes it in the book here. It's like it's balancing happiness now versus happiness in the future. Mm. Tell me more. Do you know of anybody or do you if you think of your experience where you ever said look I'm uh, maybe if you're in school a university student it's like it's I this is a really tough time I have to power through it I just need to do yeah. this yeah to be done because when I get a job I'm going it's going to be better I've definitely had those times in my life it's probably one of my you know my first serious job where I thought unless I'm working 12 13 hour days I'm not I'm not going to make it like that I that I had to that I had to do that somehow mm-hmm. for some future promise of maybe more life balance or mm-hmm. um you know whatever it was but I felt like I had to sort of almost pay my dues you know what I mean mm-hmm. is what it felt like to me yeah. for some for some unnamed something in the future that I was it was really quite nebulous for me but yeah no I can totally relate to that yeah. So yeah, exactly. It's like and the idea of well, I'm not happy now, but I have right. to do this. This is a rite of passage. This is a right. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, or someone. Well, this is, I, makes me think of what they say about Gen Xers or Gen Z or whatever. Is that in the past it would be, or the the stereotype is. Uh, in the past is you would work hard. It didn't matter if you liked your job or not, but it was about having enough money to retire. Right, right. Where today there's more of a dialogue of like, actually people want to do things now, happiness now. Take that, well, when you could take a vacation for the experience or spend your money now versus waiting until later. And so that's a really important concept to think about the balance between are you choosing to do things for happiness now over like if I just sat in a park all day and enjoyed the sunshine and right. a few drinks, like that would be great right now, but not in the future. <laughs> and then the flip of what we would yeah, just say. It's such a, it is a, it is a balance, right? Because I do think it's so important to enjoy life, like wherever you are in your life at whatever time finding that maximum enjoyment in that moment is so important but you one can't do that with total disregard of the horizon you know like you still Mm -hmm. I think have to have a sense of what's on my horizon what do I want from a long-term perspective what do I want my life to be Mm -hmm. and um and it's like you have to you have to balance both I think and I think in the it's like you were saying earlier we live in such a now, now, now society now, and um, it, it, it's hard to have the attention span to sort of think through, I think, yeah. that, that balance. Yeah. But I do think that the, the, the nuggets of happiness do live in between those spaces when you're not, because yeah. the reality is, I think if you do everything for now and nothing for later, that's stressful. Like that would yeah. cause me stress if I didn't feel like I had totally. a sense of what my, you know, what my later years were going to be like. 
Um, yeah. But I also don't want to live with total stress now where I have no happiness either. But let's, so it, yeah. there's like a, there's a magical spot where the X and Y meet that is, yes. uh, that we've all got to find for ourselves. And yeah. I think it's different for every person. Do you think that? Or do you think there's like a oh, universal sure. truth to this? No, it, I, it's definitely different for every person. I would yeah. say the universal truth is, the, the, there is, and that is, it is really important to uh, what you're doing, and work is the, you know, what we do in the day to day, or if, if you're not working, but you're caring for somebody or, or children, right. is it's really important to find a way to do that, or to ask yourself, is, is that, uh, is there happiness, can you find happiness in that? Can you find moments of flow in what you're mm-hmm. doing that will bring you happiness and if the answer is no and if the answer is no i'm only doing this because uh I, it's for some other future because and then this is like ties to these beliefs that we carry right, right. like so let me ask you what would you say to somebody somebody that you know says uh maybe they're a young father or a young mother um mm-hmm. and they're like you know i've got new kids i I feel I should take this job because it's going to give me flexibility. I don't really like it, though. Oh, that you... is so hard. That is what so hard. Would I would dig. I would dig in. I would dig into that a little bit and ask some questions about. You know, sort of work like balance in one's life and how one is going to. Can you can you live with? eight hours a day of not loving it to have then the time at home where you really, really know you're going to love it. Like, is that a balance mm-hmm. that you can really live with? Mm-hmm. Um, I am personally not down with taking a job that would make me unhappy where I know I would be unhappy. Um, right. that, that's ju- that just doesn't resonate with me as a person, but I also have not had to make those tough decisions as a parent. So mm-hmm. I don't even feel like I can weigh in. Like I, I think, but I think that's what you've got to decide is, is will your home life with your kids be for a year, right? Like, let's imagine mm-hmm. that that job was going to last a year. Would that bring you enough happiness that you could sort of hold your nose in the day to day at work, knowing that you have that flexibility that perhaps a higher pressure job might not provide? Mm-hmm. But it's, 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 I don't think there's an easy answer to it. I really don't. It really depends yeah. on the person. It does. And and I think... What do you think? Well, I think we should also challenge... And this is hard because it's not just about challenging it ourselves. It's challenging the people around the role. But challenge the assumption that it is a trade-off. And that it, and that it yeah. has to be a certain way. It's the... You know, the... Because it, the, the notion that it's a trade-off is embedded and grew out of just that's the way it always was and stuff like that right like right, the last right, right. the last person who did this job really well who was super successful they were able to work so much at it um okay well that was the last person but does the next person need to look like that it's like the it's that challenging the assumption of what does the it's when i say look like i'm not talking about what they physically look like but it's like what do they bring to the well, that's, that's a different question. Like, I think that as, as a leader, so if you're talking, what advice would I give the person as their friend would be mm-hmm. the advice that 
I gave earlier. If, if I'm talking to a leader friend of mine who is hiring for a mm-hmm. role and they're saying this person's come in, but the first thing they asked me about was work-life balance and oh my God, da, 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 I yeah. know that this role takes a lot of time and all that. Then I would do exactly what you're saying, which is challenge the assumption. Um, yeah. I know some highly effective, incredible people with, you know, a lot of kids at home who get more done in an average day than someone with no kids or one kid yeah. or whatever, you know? So I think that I think the challenging assumptions of leaders of what it what like you were saying, what it looks like, what that person looks like, um, mm-hmm. is really, really critical. Especially yeah. now. Because I think with the next generation as they come up, they're not gonna live with those standards that have been imposed in the workplace for a really long time. Mm-hmm. This notion that and it really it is, I mean, a very patriarchal notion that, you know, the man goes to work and there's someone else at home looking after the kids. That's yeah. just not the that's just not the way the world looks anymore. Yeah. You know, for a lot of people, for some it still does, but for a lot of mm-hmm. people that's just not the way the world looks. Mm-hmm. And so then you're right, as leaders we have to sort of force ourselves to think very differently about what a successful person looks like and mm-hmm. and how long they have to work and what they have to do and all those things. Mm-hmm. There's a whole happiness like there are whole consultancy groups now around happiness that will come into workplaces. Really? And yeah, and help you figure out how to have a happier workforce because there have been all kinds of studies, none of which I can quote because that's not my superpower, that's your superpower. But <laughs> there have been all kinds of studies now that a happy, uh, and now we're getting more into the business side of happiness, but like that a happy workforce is actually incredibly more productive. And incredibly more willing to sort of stand tall, take on different things, stretch themselves, try things differently, collaborate more effectively. There's so much science out there to back that, that, you know, as a leader, I am very committed to trying to help my team be happy too when they're at work. Mm -hmm. We're not going to love every single day. Let's not go crazy. But that, you know, you really want to create a place where people can come and be themselves and express themselves and and be yeah. happy yeah totally I, and i guarantee which i think is really cool yeah i hadn't heard about that but i am very confident to say that a part of what they would be putting into place is moments of flow into designing yes. that into work because that's a source of happiness hey leslie can i say can i i love segues yes. I love a it's good like, segue. Do it. Do it. So i want to okay let's segue to um Something I think you mentioned uh, in the previous podcast, and uh, I want to give a shout out to you for some of the insights that you shared last time. And I, I was, I was like, I wanted to hedge this. So the insight that you shared was um, that you have to approach uh, bringing happiness into life. You have to be uh, take steps to to do it. You have to be have intention. Yeah. You have to like make an yeah. effort to do it's it. It's a and, choice. You, and have, then, you have to and make I, the choice and then behave in that way. Yeah. Yes. And then, and I was like, okay, well we have to caveat this like sometimes, and it, which is true is that sometimes people are dealing with things that it's, they need a different kind of help to do. Right. This. Right. Right. Which we but talked about last time too, yes. which is I think why we felt like we were going to the dark right. side because right. <laughs> it ended in everyone go get therapy. Yes. I remember right. that well, Rod. It's, <laughs> so then, then, the uh, 
But you mentioned a podcast. What was the podcast that you mentioned that we thought, and uh, you and I both went and listened to it. Um, the Happiness Lab? Yes. 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 Obsessed so, with that podcast, friends. If you want to know more about happiness, that is, it is a great resource. A great resource. Yes. Yeah. I think by Lori Santos. Oh, that's I, right. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Lori, Lori. Santos. So I'm going to read this, this quote I'm going to read is actually from the book Happier, but it connects to what the recent podcast was. And this is a shout out to you. So this quote is from Aristotle. It says, happiness is the meaning and the purpose of life, the whole aim and the end of the whole aim and end of human existence. And Aristotle, in case for those listening, who might not know, is a uh, Greek philosopher who lived, uh, I don't. 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. I think it's four, super, three or 4,000. Super yeah. long time ago. Maybe less. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, and so this is in the podcast, the Happiness Lab, they were talking about Aristotle because he was like the, he's the, the original thinker on happiness. Or as he, I think, just was exploring his virtue. Yeah. And one of the things, I was listening to, listening to it and it was saying, he basically was saying, people need to make an effort to have more virtue in their lives. If they want virtue, if they want something, they have to start ma- taking action towards that. And I was like, Leslie, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> what's cool about it though, like what's, so thank you for saying that. Uh, I'm blushing, like leg- legitimate blushing. But I think that what's cool is that, you know, back back in the day, Aristotle and friends, you know, their job was to sit and think. Like that was, there There was a whole, like the city that they lived in, they were supported, that their job was to be essentially a think tank, to think about problems of the day. And what I think is so cool is that human experience, while we think it's so different, and yes, we have all this technology and all the things, and you know, it, it, it is the lived experience is different, but the fundamentals, who we are as human beings and what makes us happy and how to make us happy is the same mm-hmm. i just find that so cool yeah it is and somehow yeah, it... weirdly reassuring you know that, that that thinking has been done and therefore you know we can we can read that we can look at that and imagine how it applies to our own lives mm-hmm. I, I find that a real relief yeah it does speak to it like through the ages people are people like we have the right i mean the the um, like I guess fundamentally, who we are on a core level remains the same. The the stuff around right. it, like the examples and the morals of the days, change. And um, but uh, yeah, so like the I think um, some of the other the other really interesting thing when you I, I've always loved reading about history, and I realize actually now and talking about it with you is I think I like it because it reflected the human nature and hearing how similar right. all the different stories and how uh, really similar it was. Was there anything um, uh, else from the, like that would be good to share and put in the context of our conversations around what, like gems that we picked up from that other podcast? 
Well, the other piece that you brought in, and then the, the next episode after that was all about Plato and some of his thinking around happiness, which was, uh, again, really fascinating. But the part that I think resonated with me the most was the notion of, she started the story with the chariot, um, with the chariot driver. And the chariot driver is has two horses. And one horse uh, that they have to keep under, is like a wild thing, is just mm-hmm. like off and is really hard to control. And the other horse is, you know, doing its thing and it's beautiful and it's just walking and behaving in its lovely way. And the notion is that we all have these two different horses in our beings, one of which is wild and passionate and almost more our animal side of our nature, that reptilian brain that we've talked about before. And the other side is the more sort of polished, one that appears in society, knows what the rules are, is willing to follow them and all that. And that there is this sort of constant push and pull um, inside of us, always going on in between those those two horses. The other, mm-hmm. the way I'd heard that analogy in the past is the elephant and the rider. Mm. You know, that the I've rider that. is yeah. sort of our, yeah, right? Like our intellectual kind of prefrontal cortex selves. And the elephant, obviously much bigger, much harder to control, is that sort of instantaneous burst of reaction that we have to any situation. I think it's called the emotion side. I don't think of them like, Mm -hmm. I don't like sort of breaking it in between intellectualism and emotionalism because I just think that 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 doesn't resonate with me. But it's more the the side that is more polished and and in air quotes presentable to society versus that which lurks beneath. You know, whether that's our thoughts or our feelings or whatever. Yeah, I hear a lot. I hear a lot of connection with what we were talking about uh, our first episodes around the um, the fight or flight response, like the Mm -hmm. the emotional reaction to things, which is a powerful reaction and not necessarily we don't fully control it. And then the logical part of the brain, like that. So I think that's where I've heard that rider and the elephant. Uh, thing. I think Chip and Dan Heath had it in one of their books as well. Oh, which if yes. you're getting into the yeah. change practice, yeah. you, you want to do some reading with those guys. They're great. Yeah. They're really great from a yeah. change perspective. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the that other... one was interesting, I think, because that is also true to lived experience, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know, so I'm a chocolate person. If I have sweet things in my house, I will eat the things in my house. But then I will feel disgusting afterwards. So again, it's that mm. sort of like short-term decisions versus long-term implications, right? <laughs> uh, right? So what I have to do is I, I, I just don't have that in my house because if, if even if I'm not eating it, I'm thinking about it. So mm-hmm. that wild horse, that elephant is kind of the thing that is in charge if there mm-hmm. is, and I, I always go to food as my examples because, you know, obviously, but you can, you, you know, you can, you can make that be sort of any example. Mm-hmm. Um, food is kind of the easiest one because we, you know, we have to have it. We have to have it in our mm-hmm. homes, but mm-hmm. making those, those choices in the grocery store so that you're not in conflict, that horse mm-hmm. is not, you know, having that temptation in front of them rather mm-hmm. than relying on willpower, which tends to make us miserable. Right. I don't think willpower is a happy place in my yeah. lived experience. Yeah. It's kind of you like you feel good your... in the moment. Again, like you may feel like, ha, I did it. But there's still that inner conflict that's going on if we're having to do things with willpower. You know, right. there's still that sort of taming of the beast. And I, I don't know. Yeah. I, t- I, I take that away as it's like you can 
give yourself a break. It's not up to you to have the willpower to stop doing it. Like it, you're not a lesser person if you can't master the moment and have like mounds right. of chocolate. Me right. too. I, I have a, I can't have chocolate around or other stuff because I'll just plow through it the exact same way. Yeah. So, but it's not my all the chocolate. Right. So it's 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 not the just. I think that was the message was is like they they think of as a person we're made up of different animals. I don't know if did they use that term animals, but it was like the like one horse is pulling you. It's out of control. Animus, I think. Yeah, like you could try to train that horse, or you could try to train that part of you, but the best way to do it is actually eliminate the thing or put a, a they I think if it was a horse they put a like blinders on the horse so it doesn't right they're not distracted right. so it's like that's better than trying to train or trying to use your self uh, control is just recognize that there's some things are easier if you just eliminate it versus totally being the master yeah so lots yeah. of great and insights so maybe that's yeah, honestly, honestly. And maybe that's the, I liked where you were going because what you were hinting at was this notion, and we talk about that a lot in this podcast, that we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves, right? If we right. mess up, we have that wild horse in us or we have that elephant side of our being um, that is, you know, more driven by drive, like literal drive inside of us rather than than the thinking self. And so let's not, let's, let's not beat ourselves up if mm-hmm. we you know, if willpower doesn't work, because it, it just, it, it doesn't, you know, right. it's about changing the way we're, again, back to the Aristotle notion, it's about changing the way we're doing things, being intentional about yes. how we're living and, and what's in front of us and um, really making choices that we know will make us happy. Mm-hmm. So maybe we yeah. should leave it there for this week, Rod, and yep. then you know, come back and we can talk more about happiness. I really want to do an episode with you on sleep. Oh, yes. We talk, and oh. I really think that sleep plays a role in happiness. So who knows, friends? Maybe we'll come back with that. Yeah. I like that one. So hopefully okay. this week is a little bit more, been more uh, Return of the Jedi than Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to continue on our path to the light side. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and uh, Leslie, next time, or if you have a few bars now, you could hum the Ewok song. You thought I we would forget. We are the Ewoks from the spirit of the forest grove. That's it. And then it does that it. over and over and over again. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Always good to chat with you, my friend. Likewise. Till next time. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> we are the e e e